Hey all, a few quick updates. With Twitter, or X, increasingly on the fritz, I've created a substack at jaxyaks, that is J-A-X-Y-A-C-K-S dot substack dot com that I'll be using to send out updates about the podcast and my other projects rather than trying to hop on to every new social media that pops up. It and my current social media links will be in the show notes of every episode. Also now linked in the show notes, the interest form for Fanstuck and Problematic Faves episodes is back. If you have a Homestuck fan work or a wonderfully terrible character you want to come on and talk about, fill out the form and I'll see if we can set something up. That's all I have for now. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. Welcome back to Live Laugh Stuck. I am Jackie, aka Jax, and we are back to Stargate Alternia with Harley. Uh, you want to introduce yourself? Say 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 a little bit about yourself. Sure, sure. Um, hi, I am uh, Harley, uh, also known as Callum Traveler, the uh, writer of Stargate Alternia. Uh, I write lots of words. <laughs> lots and lots of words. Uh, when we last left off, uh, back in, oh God, I specifically looked it up, 2019, end of October 2019, Stargate Alternia had 1.5 million words and was still going. Yeah. Uh, as of today, let's see, when did you last post your chapter? I'm seeing uh, July 2021. Uh, it looks... Yep, July 2021. Uh, that is indeed the last chapter I have posted for this particular um, particular section of my vast multiverse. <laughs> yeah, and it ended off at over 2.5 million words. Uh, uh, Two, five, four, six, seven, oh, three, to be exact. <laughs> yeah, uh, with uh, 19 works included in the series. I, it's it probably just... You know, almost two million different fandoms included. If you liked something, you had an alternate, because uh, you you uh, dealt with uh, alternative worlds in it. You know, because of Stargate and and then other things eventually. So just if you like a fandom, it's probably in it. <laughs> uh, I, probably, I think I even referenced Supernatural at a couple of points, just because it's fun to make fun of Supernatural. <laughs> oh yeah, time honored tradition. Uh, so, um, how, how do you feel? How do you feel having this huge body of, <sighs> of work complete? I'll be honest. I kind of hit the completion point twice. Um, so having, I, I still don't even feel like it's complete, complete. There's still like, <laughs> there's, there's this one kind of epilogue, epilogue sort of thing that I kind of want to finish, which is like an adaptation of a, of a Kira Major movie crossover, a couple of Kira Major movies that uh, cross over with a uh, Dino Fury Power Rangers, which 
in of itself is still an ongoing series technically even though it's switching to a different title this year um but uh the but yeah and then uh but yeah, the first the other one is like a uh, hundred years later sort of just only barely vaguely set in the general timeline but it's gonna be like a gundam owl house crossover with because i cannot stop myself with crossing over fandoms <laughs> yeah but that one that one's definitely barely related i mean beyond be taking place on earth that was essentially yeah um in in the end as i stand currently with how it is completed at the moment it's i honestly just feel daunted looking at it 2.5 million words is how did i write that much <laughs> right and, and in such a relatively short amount of time i mean 2017 october to what was it again uh t july of 2021 that's 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 essentially three years two two and a half years like that's that's a point five million that's a point million word that's a that's about a million words per year yeah um yeah you could uh, make stephen king run for his money uh yeah yeah <laughs> uh what was the you said that you had two kind of ending points was the first one i see uh the act eight act three from uh december 2020 the yeah the first um ending point was uh act seven that was oh, my act first seven. ending point uh that was my original planned ending point essentially i say plan but i was always like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna end this at act seven essentially that was my original point going through this and um at some point during that the epilogues started coming out and i and then there was um you know there was a Power Ranger series, or a Super Sentai series, rather, uh, Machin Sentai Kira Major that started airing. And I was like, okay, I'm doing this final chapter for Act 7 as sort of a tie-off for it. And I kind of, you know, I kind of put in all the little tie nods to uh, Kira Major because I was like, okay, the adventure continues. And then like a few, few weeks after, after that, yeah, April 27th. Yeah, actually it was a few months. I, uh, no, yeah, yeah, actually, no, it was only a few weeks. Um, yeah, the intermission to chapter kind of got shoved in there because that uh came around when high swap at two came out and i was and i shoved that in there so like between the end of uh april of 2020 and or the start of april 2020 and then the the start of august is basically like it was like like it was either i think it was may june july that i was working on figuring out where to do the the cure major stuff and it was like there's the epilogues that are coming out around this time too and i just kind of started thinking um man the epilogues kind of suck a little you know <laughs> yeah we uh we live like, read them together they, like there were like don't get me wrong there were some neat things in the epilogues that i was really interested in like yeah like the the, the, the kids the, the second gen kids like yes yeah those kids those were cool kids i wanted to do stuff with them uh, but and then i was so i was like okay i want to do stuff with these kids like epilogues kind of you know were being their own thing <sighs> But you know, I think it was really when they were having issues with the the chapter tagging with the content warnings. Yeah, that I basically was just like, okay, screw this. I'm gonna show how you do this right. And <laughs> ironically, kind of out of spite, I've stuck with doing the chapter warnings on basically all my fix since. Like yeah. at the start of every chapter, I do like a brief overview, content warning, what's in this chapter, sort of thing. And I, I've just been sticking with that ever since. Like it, it started just out of spite. Like okay, they, they're taking away the content warning chapter are the chapters yeah i'm gonna 
to show them that they can actually do this. Yeah. And, and and more than that, I think, I think you know, the Kira Major arc basically ended up being this whole response to the epilogues in a lot of ways. Like, I ended up trying to tackle a lot of the same the same themes that the epilogue was tackling, but I ended up trying to tackle it in, you know, my own way, essentially. Um, you know, with with the epilogues, you know, uh, Earth C is on its own in its own little bubble in two different bubbles, basically, two different timelines. And and what I ended up doing with Kira Major was the timey wimeyness of my story is that I had Retcon John show up at one point in my Kyoryuger adaptation, which is also in this multiverse, but not technically part of this. And then that was before the epilogue started. And then when the epilogues were going on, I was like, oh, there's another John I can work with now. And I kind of ended up, how do I put this in in words that don't spoiler it? I kind of, I basically had a character pull a dirt and take control of the narrative and interrupt things, but in a way that where Dirk was gonna kind of hold on to the narrative, this other character let it go when they had accomplished what they were trying to accomplish. Like, uh, the, the metaphor I kind of came up with at the time was this character, Damara, the, my version of Damara, because, oh my word, Damara ended up being such a character in this more than <laughs> I'd expected. I, I, I mean, I had some people saying, I love your Damara so much, you handle her so much better. But it was like, okay, that's a high compliment. Anyway, so Damara, essentially, her character arc was, you know, she's the handmaiden and she's serving Lord English. And then she kind of gets killed through her own stupidity and she becomes a ghost. And then that ghost basically hijacks somebody, possesses them, basically, and uses them to create, to, to, to get a clone of Damara's closest living descendant, aka Aradia. And so then she makes a new body for herself using a clone, and she possesses the clone, and so she's now reincarnated essentially as herself. And she's going around playing the role of Stargate SG-1's Adria, who, you know, kind of was this weird sort of character with godlike powers. But Damara ended up, basically what she ended up doing was was basically tearing open this big rift between dimensions and using it to kind of reach out to different timelines and grab all these fragments of Lord English and kind of jab them all together into a little tiny ball and then force it to reincarnate into the Lord English that had been fought all this time and, like, several acts earlier had just gotten shoved into a black hole and um, spaghettified for eternity. So, basically, she was like, I'm cleaning up all the Lord Englishes and getting rid of them. But in the middle of that, alternate Calliope noticed what was going on. You know, Red Calliope, the, the Calliope who possessed frickin' Jade Corpse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I called her the Corpse Stealer. I was not, I was not being subtle about that. Anyway, she notices what's going on and she's like, oh God, another Dirk. I have to get involved in this now. And she goes and starts causing trouble. And in the course of that, a portal opens up to the scene where John is fighting Lord English and he almost gets bitten. Well, actually he does get bitten, but in canon. But in this timeline, uh, a stray beam of uh, attack from the battle between Damara and uh, the corpse stealer ends up blasting English and letting John escape free. And so because he's now free, he can go around and kind of do his retconny thing and that ended up leading to 
that John, well, that John ended up getting involved in a sequence of events where he then went into another timeline, <laughs> rescued the corpse-stolen Jade from, from a very unfortunate situation, and he, with the help of a bunch of other characters who were in this place at this time, they managed to resurrect her into a, into a little kid, and basically... John and a Terezi alternate, uh, they adopted her and then they went off to, to screw around on their own for a couple years in another timeline. And in that timeline, that John and Terezi ended up basically uh, gender flipping, basically. Uh, so John went to uh, Joan rather than June because I already had a June Egbert because I was playing around with that beforehand. And I was like, oh God, I can't reuse June. I got to come up with another <laughs> name. And yeah. then I was like, oh, hey, I can reference elementary. This really cool, uh, this really cool Sherlock Holmes story that the TV series that aired on uh, CBS. It was basically modern day New York Sherlock Holmes, except John Watson was Joan Watson. Uh, and she was played by, uh, a very famous actress whose name is escaping me at the moment. Oh, God, I know uh, Lucy Liu. Yes, Lucy Liu. That was her. Yeah, she was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I was like, I love Elementary. I have to reference it. So I had that John watching Elementary and be like, Yeah, I like the name Joan. And then essentially, <laughs> with retcon powers of her, you know, with her being a retcon power, she essentially goes back to the earth sea that's caught in the black hole. And when the canon Terezi shows up with the canon John who's gotten bitten and is on the verge of dying, she essentially somehow manages to get to him in time and heals him. And so now he's okay and alive, but there's now a Joan Watson who's also going around. And then once she's healed John and saved him from narrative poisoning, she then does the windy thing and takes that entire earth sea and then she warps it to the timeline that the main Stargate series that I've been doing, the Stargate Alternia timeline is happening yeah. in. And then so basically that Earth is now in this universe and the Cure Major fic ends up letting me explore the ramifications of that a bit more because the, I have essentially, uh, you know, I have the, the, the plot arcs like I, I tried to address uh, Jane being a total bitch and... Uh, <laughs> Among other things, you know, I did try to address things a little uh, cleaner, like instead of, you know, having Candy Dirk, you know, off himself, I basically had him go off and kind of be a monk in the mountains for a couple of years, which came ended up being a more interesting arc for him because he ended up being kind of like the the counterpoint to Canon Dirk. You know, he he's basically looking on his own actions in the other timeline and he's kind of being this narrative foil to himself and being like, God, other me's being kind of stupid in all these ways. And he kind of, you know, goes out of his way to try and, you know, smooth things over at times, which is, I mean, I tried to play carefully with, with narrative ultimate Dirk because, you know, the, the, the power of, of, of having a fourth wall breaking character on his own is kind of, kind of a risky gamble to play with like why isn't this guy you know doing more things you know like well obviously I don't want him to do all these things that his other self was doing and he doesn't want to do the, these things that his other self was doing and and then I had the bright idea to do a self-insert because screw it hussy you did a self-inserts wrong I'm gonna see how you here's how I'm gonna do a self-insert which I really really shouldn't have done um 
it was i basically had these scenes where my author avatar and narrative dirk were kind of playing off of each other and kind of having their own kind of mini arc in the background where they're 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 where they're, they're trying to basically it was my response to the whole meta narrative nonsense being like how as a as a meta character how far do you intervene in an ongoing story versus how do you not intervene when do you choose to intervene versus not to that end i kind of ended up taking one of the the kira major villains garza and essentially ultimating him as well i, I kind of exploring this um this this process in this multiverse setting that that you know is the equivalent to god tearing basically you know and i explored how this guy ended up becoming kind of this mm-hmm. uh, how do i put it basically i ended up kind of just being like he's trying to do the dirk thing but he's doing it in his own kind of stage show way cuz he's a he's a he's a theater kid at heart he's he's a thespian the only thing he really wants to do is just put on a really grand show <laughs> of it. And once the characters in universe kind of realize that's what he's doing, that he's, he basically puts on the finale of Canon Kira major in order to give them a satisfying final battle. And they basically are like, okay, the only way we're really going to be able to win at this is if we play our own stage show against him. And so they kind of put on this whole counter production and at the last minute and end up defeating him, you know, defeating in quotes because he still survives and he goes off to do his own thing. But as a villain, the character that he was yep. is now dead. And so he can shed that mask. A, a lot of, I think in the end, a lot of what Stargate Alternia end up being is about the masks that people wear for their various roles as they do things. And the way that that kind of affects the identity of the person in question. Because I had, I'm going to say more than five different versions of John in the story total. I had, you know, obviously I had the two versions of John Egbert that I just talked about, Joan and John. Then I had two other versions that showed up at one point. So basically, you know, I had the kids, the the, the beta kids being, you know, actual kids through this, the early parts of the story. And, you know, I had little baby John at one point. Well, there's a time travel episode uh, a couple seasons in that goes to 2010 which is like you know about the time that homestuck itself happened so these kids are now like 13 14 and so i had those kids now travel back in time so now there's two two versions of john and there's two versions of all these other kids now and over the course of that that kind of story arc it explores the differences between these future kids who are now more experienced and have this this role inherited to them from that future Versus their younger counterparts who are a bit more free to explore who they are a bit. And, and in a lot of cases, they go in different directions. Like, um, I mentioned I had June in here. The younger John in this case, he, he's adopted. He's, he's, he's basically an adopted brother to Rose in this timeline. And they basically have this, you know, they have this little bit where the John is kind of like, you know, I really kind of just want to change my hair a bit, you know? Like, I, I kind of want to look a bit more like you. I want I want us to look more like actual siblings, you know? Rather than, you know, being different looks and appearances and whatnot. So they steal this this semi-sentient uh, crystal that can change genetics and do all this fancy stuff, you know? The, the Shaper crystal, I called it, which is a whole worm reference. Anyway, so Shaper as a crystal has basically 
as a character, as much as a sentient crystal can be a character, basically has had this ongoing character trait where you have to really explicitly tell it what you want to do. Otherwise, it's going to kind of go off on its own and do its own little thing and try and be a little bit of a matchmaker. And that ended up basically in their attempt to try and make John look more like Rose, the crystal interpreted that pretty literally and then shifted that John into a girl. And over the course of a few chapters, you know, end up deciding, yeah, you know what, I'm going to stay like this. I want to be June Egbert, basically. And so then I have the John Egbert that survived, who is now John Shepard of uh, the Stargate Atlantis story. And then there's his younger alternate self now june and they you know they have these kind of moments kind of between each other a few times you know which is like we're just alternate selves we're just different people even though we started the same where we, we went different paths and that's all right you know I, and i kind of explored that same gender dichotomy between a couple of different other characters like you know i have two versions of roxy an older one and a younger one the old one stayed a woman the younger one shifted to a guy um the, there are a couple other characters who i played around with the gender a bit because they're alternate selves and then i did this really interesting thing with the, the with the jades because you know the older jade you know in this particular timeline jade was the daughter of Daniel Jackson and Shari, who from a girl from Abydos. And in this timeline, Shari died giving birth to Jade. And so the whole story arc, when the first time these two characters basically inter- interact with each other, the two versions of Jade, the younger one asks, are you my mom? And, and I kind of had this whole, you know, this kind of, this kind of, this arc basically essentially culminating in the older Jade adopting her younger self and basically saying, I will take care of you as my own, basically. And so that younger Jade ends up becoming um, the the Kirame Green and the Kirame Jerfic, and I kind of explore how their family dynamic works a bit in there, too. It's really just interesting to to go through this whole story, and, you know, I have all these different characters that kind of interact with alternate versions of themselves and deal with their different versions of themselves, and... You know, like, because, you know, Stargate is a multiverse in of itself, they have all these alternate timelines, alternate dimensions, and then, you know, Homestuck is ostensibly a story about alternate universes and alternate timelines, you know. It just felt really cohesive to have these alternate versions of various characters interact with themselves. It's kind of like, like showing a mirror to what you could be or what you are. They say a lot of times that that humans interact with each other and define themselves based on what they see in other people. And in this case, I kind of took that to its logical extreme and saying, here's how they define themselves against themselves. And it's essentially a lot of it is kind of the thing that I ended up looking at with, with, you know, in the epilogues eventually is... You know, Homestuck as a whole kind of took this stance of alternate versions of yourself don't really get along. Past and future don't get along, you know. There's a moment where canon Alpha John, Recon John, kind of dismisses his alternate self that he just kind of supplanted, you know, and that guy just goes off and disappears. You know, it's kind of kind of cruel in its own way. I mean, you're still comparing and contrasting these characters as an audience perspective, but Homestuck never really kind of gave the focus two alternate selves in a way that I think it really missed it was a missed opportunity because only this one version of the character matters all the others can go ignored they're disposable 
which is not really the case, even when it comes to the the concept of the ultimate self. I mean, I think Hussey kind of tried to, to backtrack that a little, or wh whoever came up with that concept, even. The, the whole idea of, you know, one version having all access to memories of all the alternate selves, like, that still kind of doesn't fit with what it is, you know, because because you're telling me that one version of Dirk Strider is going to represent all the various Dirk Striders who are not villains or are not, you know, like you're telling me that all of them, you know, combined together would become this kind of narcissistic person. I don't I don't really buy that. I, the way that I ended up seeing the ultimate self is that by its very nature, the ultimate self can't encompass every version of a person. The way I see it, the ultimate Dirk from, you know, the epilogues is essentially the ultimate Dirk of the Dirks who are in those epilogue circumstances, rather than all of the Dirks across all timelines. And it's just Dirk's narrow understanding of the ultimate self that makes him think this is all that there is. He thinks that this small subset of Dirks that are that he is pulling the memories of are all that there is when Really, there's multiple versions of alternate selves representing ultimate concepts of different variations of these different characters. Like, there could be an ultimate Dirk who's representing the female version of him, the ultimate female Dirk Strider, to put it that way. Or the ultimate Dirk who, you know, is just, just a cool kid who doesn't care about any of that narrative nonsense, you know. Like, there can be an ultimate John Egbert and an ultimate June Egbert. There can be ultimate Harleys, ultimate Jades, ultimate Dirks, ultimate Daves, ultimate Roses. All of them kind of pulling from these different concepts. Because cause the thing that I kind of came to with the whole ultimate self thing, when and I looked at, when I looked at it with Homestuck proper, is there are two ultimate Roses. There's ultimate Jasper Rose. And then there's Ultimate Rose, Robo Rose. Those two are kind of mutually exclusive to each other. Despite being the same general concept, you have this one, you have these two different Ultimate Roses claiming to be the ultimate combination of different roses together, and they come out as two completely different characters. And you can say, oh, sure, that's because Jasper Rose has Jasper, all the Jaspers included. But that really is kind of the thing, isn't it? Because Ultimate Dave Petta is different from Ultimate Dave, because Ultimate Dave Petta is a unique combination of of all the Dave Pettas that exist, of all the Daves and Nepetas that have combined together, versus all the Daves. You know, like you can't say that Dave Petta contains all the Daves because all the Daves are supposedly represented by Ultimate Dave, but Dave does not have Ultimate Dave Peta in him because he's not pulling on Nepeta as Ultimate Dave. That kind of is the, the, the point to it to me, is that the Ultimate Self is the ultimate version of a specific concept of that character. You know, Dave Peta is all of the Daves and Nepetas ever combined as an Ultimate Self, but that Dave Peta Ultimate cannot, therefore, contain all of the Daves that never combined with Nepeta, just as that Dave Peta cannot contain all the Nepetas that never combined into a Dave Peta. I, 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 does that make any sense? I, I think I kind of just rambled. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's definitely an interesting thing to explore, and I didn't realize how much of you wrapping up your series, or like the, the end of it, 
ended up being such a big response to the epilogues. Oh, yeah. Let, let me just put it this way. Uh, I The only reason that my version of Jade's daughter is not named Ruby is because I already had two Rubies in the story. Uh, the only reason I, I named her Sally at, to pair with Harry is because, well, for starters, Harry and Sally is a common pairing combination of those two names. <laughs> but also, yeah, I already had a Ruby, R-H-U-B-I-E, and a Ruby, R-U-B-Y, who are also alternate cells of each other. So mm-hmm. I ended up having to be like, Okay, Ruby is a cool name. I would probably use that if not for the fact that I already have two Rubies here who themselves are alternate versions of each other. One's Alternian and one is human. The, 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 again, exploring the alternate versions of these characters. You know, essentially, the, the epilogues really just were like, yeah, there's some cool stuff in here, but I, I don't quite want to just rehash that stuff without addressing the complaints I have about it. Yeah, absolutely. Like, so, you know, Harry and Sally are now, uh, Harry and Ruby in this case, uh, Harry and Sally are are supposedly siblings. They're uh, now Roxy and Jade's kids instead of, you know, John and Roxy and Jade and Rose because, with, you know, the genetics still kind of work together. But one of them ended up being an ectobiology kid and one of them ended up being a natural born kid just because... Roxy had the ectobiology thing. Jade had the ectobiology thing. Of course, these two characters, when it comes to having kids, they would think, okay, what if we made one of our kids the old-fashioned way, and what if we made one of them the ectobiology way, essentially? That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And to kind of zoom out to the, the broader aspect of the whole series, so there's a lot. And if people want to jump in and maybe get to some of those critiques of the epilogues without necessarily reading through the whole thing is there any way to to jump into different parts or is this pretty much like got to start from the beginning when it comes to the specific epilogue addressing points that would be where i say go for act eight those those particular those particular four acts act eight act one through act eight act four those were essentially crafted to be Okay, this is in this timeline. This is after this whole massive fanfic. These particular four sub-stories are designed to address this specific thing, and I tried to kind of make it as standalone as I could. Essentially, I treated it like its own story set within this universe, and while, yes, all these characters have all these backstories and histories, I try not to touch on it unless it's really important to the particular moment in the story. And a lot of the Act 8 stuff also focuses on all of these other characters from all these other settings, kind of. It's it's kind of its own different beast, because as even though it's in the Stargate Alternia timeline, you don't really need to know all of that history so much, because the important bits that you really just need to know at the beginning of it are are rehashed, essentially, um, when necessary. Like, you don't need to know that, you know, Jade's adopted her alternate self to know that, okay, or those circumstances behind it. You don't need to know that circumstance behind it to know that this Jade, who's Kirby Green, has her older alternate self as her mother, that they're taking care of each other. You don't need to know that. 
beyond that specific thing. You don't need to know all that backstory. I tried to essentially treat it as all of this is backstory, but only the important stuff you need to know will come up. You can you don't need to know most of anything else. All the important stuff is there. It's like, okay, this person created all these powers and all these ranger teams. That's cool. You don't need to know their history of developing powers and all this other stuff. You don't need to know why all of these characters have super special abilities because it's, you know, it's just, there's this bit of the setting just because there's just this giant rift. Okay, why is there a rift in space that's leaking out of this energy? Well, there's a whole story in of itself, but you don't need to know that. And I tried to, essentially, when it came to the Kira Major stuff, I address, I was essentially trying to address an issue that I had um, with with the Stargate SG-1 part of it. Because early on when I was first starting the story, um, my biggest regret is I did not completely adapt every single episode of Stargate SG-1. I didn't even attempt to do some of them. I just left them background details, etc., etc. But I came into issues where some of the episodes I skipped ended up being really critical to episodes I wanted to cover, and that ended up with some reader confusion. And I had to, and I, and I'm still considering going back and rewriting, you know, at least mission briefings covering the mis- missed episodes, just because I feel like that's something that I need to address at some point still. But I tried to make make the uh, the the Act Eight parts be more self contained. In that, yeah, if you if you really just want to read the epilogue addressing bits, for the most part, the Act Eight stuff is going to cover most of it. There's still okay. some bits earlier on in pre Act Seven, like they. There, there's, there's whole bits of information, essentially, that, that yes, I did address in earlier bits of it, that you, that you, that if you're interested in that kind of addressing of the epilogue stuff, you may prefer to read through the whole thing, but yeah, I, I really don't, don't think that's something I should ever recommend people do, because, uh, 2.5 million words, oh my god. I, I know people can read. I know pe- some people reread through this thing. I still get comments from people who are rereading it being like, oh, this is really neat. I'm recognizing this in retrospect after rereading it, you know, stuff like that. And I'm just like, you're rereading this monster of a fic again? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's like, if you really, really, really want to read through the whole thing, that is something that you should really just consider if you have the time for it. <laughs> I mean, I know there are long things, and lots of people like reading long things, but also lots of some people like reading shorter things. And if you really just want to look at the uh, epilogue addressing bits specifically, the Act 8 stuff is really the the major point of that. But Act 8 is also kind of this, you know, this exploration of stories about stories, essentially. I think that's what the epilogue was trying to be about a story about stories it kind of missed the mark i mean it it kind of conveyed the point but it also very heavily missed the mark i think i think in retrospect what the epilogues were trying to do and what i ended up trying to address is what do you as a person who has power to alter a story's course 
as an outside observer. What are your personal limits? What are your, where do you intervene versus where do you let it go? And that's kind of a reflection of my whole writing process as a whole. A lot of my writing ends up being very spur of the moment, even though I have a general idea of where I'm going. If I'm adapting a show, I have these plot beats that I can generally trace along and follow along. But there's also just these moments where I just let the writing happen with the characters interacting, and then they do something completely unexpected that kind of ruins my plans a bit. And I have to adapt with it rather than try and rewrite it and force it to go the way that I want it. Sometimes I do have to go back and rewrite whole sections of things, you know, because I, I really don't like the direction that it's going. I, I kind of consider those more exploration of alternate timelines rather than specific um, rewrites of the actual linear events, I guess kind of what I ended up doing with my self-insert bantering off of Dirk as a ultimate self is where are your limits as a writer? Where are your limits as an author? Where do you, as somebody who can influence this story's direction, where do you draw your limits? I think that is kind of like the story of the epilogues in that You have these two super powerful characters who can reshape the very story of, you know, the epilogues. You know, you have Ultimate Dirk and Alternate Tally, and they are fundamentally two different takes on the same archetype. The over-controlling author. The author who insists that things go their way and only their way. Yeah. That's what the two timeline branches of the epilogues are about, Meat and Candy. Meat is how things go according to Dirk, and Candy is how things go according to Callie. Essentially, the thing that I ended up doing with Damara is, you know, here's this character who has who has this goal that requires them to take all of this power to do this thing. And then what do you do with it once you have that power? And yeah, Damara ends up being the I think the archetypical answer because Damara out of all of my villains across the entire story, barring, I think, Garza, Damara is the only villain who wins what what they were trying to do with their plan. Damara, she does what she sets out to do. She takes the keyboard away from me and runs her story, and then when she's done, she lets me have the keyboard back rather than hold on to it, which is the misunderstanding that happens between her and alternate Callie, because... Alternate Callie thinks Damara is being another Dirk who's stolen the keyboard and will never let it go. Because in the end, when it comes to stories like this, it's how much do you as the author enforce your will on the events that happen? Which is really this really interesting bit with the uh, the influencers side arc in the uh, the bonus content that we only got after they shut down the Patreon, you know. Um, I don't think I know about that. Yeah, there was a bunch of Patreon exclusive content for the epilogues that um that we that if you didn't subscribe to Patreon, you couldn't access. But after the Patreon shut down, they let everybody have access to that. And the influencers story arc there kind of in my opinion, that really, really, really should have been part of the main story rather than a side bit. Because that added so much context to the events that were happening in the um candy timeline. 
because you have these essentially you have these three parallel character archetypes to three of the kids you have a sporty guy you have a non-binary kid you have a who's who's a theater kid too and you have um you have the rich kid so essentially you have parallels to harry ruby and tavi in this group and these three kids essentially they are the ones who, when the kids and Vriska get caught carrying Gamzee's corpse around, they're the ones who take the pictures. Oh, wild. They're the ones who kick that whole series of events into, a, into, into motion. And then they kind of get pulled into, you know, the principal's office afterwards. And they kind of have this whole, it's kind of this breakfast club kind of moment of these three kids who never really interacted before suddenly are put together. and. They are these parallels of these these main hero kids of this current ongoing story, and they end up kind of being involved in some of the weird background details. Like, why is the clock tower unlocked? Why is the bell tower unlocked? Why why was this place that's normally locked unlocked? Well, because these kids got the key and they unlocked it. But that's but these characters were basically kind of this whole thing that once I knew about them, I had to try and figure out how to integrate them in because it was like. This is a thing that I really wish I was in there and I could have dealt with. Yeah. So once I had access to them, I kind of had have them kind of being, you know, kind of witness to some of this stuff that's going on. And they end up being this serving as this sort of side parallel arc to to kind of view everything that's going on. And it's really in the end, what I end up thinking about on all this is they had a lot of good ideas with with the epilogues that when I took those ideas and then applied them to my specific story, Stargate Alternia and the Kira Major adaptation, it's a lot of what I do is in response to what the epilogues and the Helmstuck 2 were doing because responding to that stuff is kind of the important bit of this whole Act 8 bit because they had these good ideas and then they just kind of let them sit there and languish a bit. They didn't really give them the attention that it deserved but yeah so yeah let's move on from that di- yeah. tangent no no worries i just uh i've been thinking about having a post-canon episode and um i had someone i was gonna tap for it but i might try to get the both of you in on it i'll i'll think about that i'll keep that in mind yeah yeah sure i will i will gladly join in on that because i have i have thoughts about the epilogues and i'm stuck too i have so many thoughts yeah no way i didn't notice (laughs) (laughs) um yeah okay so um we are running a bit so just to wrap it up if people want to try to get into it even if they're they they're not going to commit to reading the whole thing or maybe if they are how far in do you suggest someone read to like get the vibe of what's going on like um up to like finishing act one or i would say if you're gonna read it if you're gonna read it just to get a taste of it the farthest you need to read is end of act two kansas city shuffle because act one is just stargate the movie basically and it it has it, it it's basically all set up it doesn't start actually talking it doesn't actually become the story that i considered the bulk of stargate alternia until act two it's everything before that is just hypotheticalizing and conceptualizing the setting and the, the it's the barest 
it's the barest bones, but it's it's really fun bare bones. But if you're gonna if you're gonna read through, you have to read at least through to act end of act two because act two is really where the the the, the format of the story properly kicks in. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely read farther than that, so I can definitely agree. I will say, if you get hooked in on this, and I think I said it in the, uh, I'm pretty sure I said it in the original episode, if you get hooked in on this, since we're so sparse and in between Hive Swap adaptations, you're going to forget that the portal that Joey goes through isn't actually a Stargate. I know. (laughs) (laughs) It's all the time, all the time I have to remind myself. It wasn't a Stargate. No, it was a, It was not a Stargate. It just it kind of functions like one, weirdly. Yeah, it, sort it of. wasn't a Stargate. Uh, Joey and Sephiroth aren't like canon pale. Uh, Mirfa, how do you say? Mirfa Durgis is, yeah. Yeah, Mirfa Durgis isn't actually in it, and they're not, you know, like there's so many things that is like, no, those aren't canon details. Forget all that. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of the stuff in Act 2 and Act 3 was essentially me working off of, oh, hey, here's pre-release troll call info, and here are concepts from, you know, all the, the Kickstarter teases that, you know, like Kari uh, with the, the, uh, was the original concept of the beekeeper. I was like, okay, I'm going to work her in early, and then, and then she never manifested as that character, and I was like, okay, mine now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, okay. Real quick, one last question. Hive Swap 2 has come out since since you started this. Has Hive Swap Act 2 been implemented anywhere in the story? Technically, I have a intermission chapter. Intermission 2, in a sense, loss. It's between Act 7 and Act 8, Act 1. It's essentially just a response to the ending of Act 2 of Hive Swap with, you know, the whole sequence on the train where, you know, Joey and Zephros uh, deal with Baisley. And and because I have my own versions of Baisley in in the story, Baisley and Barzum, you know, I have them. I have actually I have like two different versions of them because time travel, <laughs> of course. Again, yes. anyway. So, but I had because I had them. I had this. Um, so there's this concept that um, in one of my earlier stories that somebody uh, that somebody wrote a concept of based off of something that I did, where they where somebody else was having their characters react to things that happened in my story and i was like hey you know what i'm gonna reference that as a thing that happens in this universe too and so uh that that, that goes that, that original concept of a uh, zone ripples kind of goes to uh blue ike over on DeviantArt back in the uh oh gosh i want to say the uh 2010s uh yeah he, he he was a digimon fan artist who did these cool comics adapt his own adaptations of stories you know basically yeah. and so when i had you know my finale of of digimon cross wars at one point which of course was set to a cascade because of course it was yeah anyway he had his char- had his versions of the digimon uh cross wars characters react to the events that happened in my story and so in in the intermission act in intermission two i had I had the the different versions of Baisley and Barzum, you know, react to the, the events that happened in Hive Swap Act 2. And so then I also had, okay, so what if there are alternate versions of reality of Act 2, Hive Swap Act 2, that also felt these ripples? And how would they react when they felt those premonitions of impending doom? And how would things transition from there? And it, it kind of is just this sort of what-if thing. And so. 
But honestly, uh, at that point that Act 2 came out, I'd already written seven, seven acts of, you know, these characters, my own version of these characters who are kind of nothing like what they ended yeah. up being. <laughs> like, even though I was working off of Troll Call and the uh, Friend Sim stuff, you know, it was like, you know, I did, you know, kind of predict in some ways some characters being kind of weird over the other. Like, um, L Word, I kind of had her being a little, a little sneaky. I kind of got the sneaky vibe off of her early on. And so when, so I, I wasn't, I wasn't too surprised how she ended up playing out in act two, basically. But, and then versus, you know, somebody like Chixie, I'm like, oh, okay, I completely misjudged her character a bit. And, you know, I, I kind of, it, it, the, the problem with writing characters based off of just the barest amount of characterization of these characters, you know, is you're you're rolling the dice basically um my characterization is really really good and consistent for my characters but they're probably gonna come off a little out of character compared to uh compared to act two just saying yeah and um that's only to be expected since you had these characters before they like did anything Mm -hmm. in in canon well, okay, that's that's very exciting. You have all of this here. I'm I'm glad uh to know that if people do want to see the majority of the uh epilogue response, they can just yeah. jump to uh Act, act eight, eight, Act One and just read through to the end. Yeah. It's really just I tried my best to make it a standalone story in this setting and not lean too heavily on the response to events that happened before like of course there are events that are response to that but in the cases where they happen i tried to set it up mostly so that what you're dealing with is the basic kind of introductory stuff of the setting that you would run into at the start of any power ranger series or any super sentai season it's like you know with Zenkaiger, you'd have, okay, here are these, here's this army that's invading parallel worlds and capturing them in little gears, you know, or with Kira Major, you have the introductory sequence on Crystallia, which I also added in on my own thing. Oh, that is, is that the, I watched some episodes of one of those things, and I think it might have been Crystallia, Kira Major. I'm yeah. bad at remembering the names of things. That's where they're a little like vehicle crystal things. Oh yeah, the yeah, the Kira, the Zords are these uh floating crystals that turn into Zords essentially, yeah. the the Kira stones. Yeah, and I watched they, some of those episodes with Justin. Yeah, yeah, Kira Major was really really fun as a series and I'm kind of disappointed that it's probably never going to get adapted into Power Rangers because they could do so much fun stuff with that. Yeah. But at the same time, it Kira Major was honestly the main thing that i wanted to do an adaptation of and then the the epilogue and homestuck 2 response kind of just came in after that essentially you know it was like it was stuff that was kind of at the forefront of it but it was the primary thing i wanted to do was the care major adaptation essentially and then i had to i just worked in all this other theme stuff through it it's again it's ended up being a story about stories you know yeah and alternate universes and even though there are bit like there are some bits in it that reference events of things that I hadn't properly written down to paper before then. And then I went through in other stories and then expanded on them there. But, you know, 
like there were some things in act eight that you know I've been sitting on for years that I never had a chance to really do anything with and so through this I I kind of used it as a story to tell other stories yeah okay cool I feel like there's so much more we could have touched on oh oh yeah god there's so much we could talk about but that's what happens whenever there's like 2.5 million words. <laughs> but it's it's great. I, I, I think we got good explanation of what's going on. I definitely, I don't know if I have the time right now to read the act, act eight. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you don't have the time, no pressure. Like, I'm not, sure. not going to shove this whole 2.5 million word fic at somebody and say, yeah. you need to read this. Like, it's. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Is there anything do you want to plug anything else you're working on that you want people to go check out? Sure. The My current ongoing project that I'm working on is a crossover story between Last Exile, the anime series, and various Gundam series. It's slated to be about 25 chapters. Um, it's currently at chapter 16 and about 146,000 words. So um, hopefully smaller than Stargate Alternia. But, um, <laughs> if you're into Gundam, take a look at that. Um, if you like Last Exile, uh, also take a look at it. I like how I'm how I'm dealing with those characters more. The other thing that uh, if you you've been watching um, Mobile Suit Gundam: The Witch from Mercury, I have a uh, series co- a, a short story. A- it's a it's a story called uh mobile horror sd ariel which is like what if ariel had a sd robot frame and she interacts with things and it's it started out basically as pure crack and then uh let, let's just say i ended up t- treating it far more seriously than the original concept deserved <laughs> I, I love how it's come out but it, it again it's it it ended up being basically a response fic to the show as it aired so that that it, might be the best type of fic is oh, crap yeah. that gets taken seriously oh yeah i agree um and if you're not into reading um if you're into video games um i am working on the video game mist online Uru live as one of its developers and developers um if you ever pop into Moolah and you, you visit the age of Edder Nabry, that is one of mine. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. It's a very pretty garden. Um, first of many, I hope. <laughs> uh, yeah, other than that, uh, I got nothing else. Okay. Well, I mean, that's plenty. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> that's know? plenty. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming back on and Anytime. Uh, talking about your fake. Your yeah, definitely. Anytime. Might have to be back on for the epilogues. Oh, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so uh, thank you again for listening, and I will see you guys in about two weeks. Sure thing. See you next time, whenever that is for me. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you to Dami for composing the theme song and editing the episode. You can find more of her work at soundcloud.com slash dominothief. Shout out to our fakest fan tier supporters, Danny the Spoon Lord and Tezrak. You can become a supporter and receive early episodes and bonus content for as little as $1 a month over at ko-fi.com slash jacksyaks or simply give a one-time tip. For information on and links to my other projects, head over to jacksyaks.com. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for listening.